welcome to life. So this week we had Alpha Start um, and it was a resounding success. We had a lot of new people, a lot of people that haven't been on Wednesday before, but uh, we really liked it. So if you would like to come to Alpha or you want to know a little bit more, here's a video. Who will you invite? Um, lately, we've had a lot of people out of church on Wednesdays and Sundays with the flu or whatever the media is calling it. It's the flu, Corona, COVID, flu. Uh, so if you will, please pray for our church family. Um, so with that being said, let's get started. Uh, today is going to be a little bit more difficult than it usually is. Uh, which is it's kind of uncomfortable to say because uh, we don't pull punches here. We are direct with the Word. We're direct with the way that we deliver the Word. And so um, I just want to say that uh, if wh wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, or maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you think you have a relationship with Jesus, uh, really what we're going to talk about today is um, what it looks like when you do have a relationship with Jesus. So there are people that you know that maybe you're even close to that if they died in this moment right now, they would be transported into heaven where they could be given their, their new body and they would be uh, in glory and it would be beautiful. And there are people that you know, maybe even you that you're listening, you think you would be in heaven, but you're not really sure and if you were to die today, or maybe someone that you know were to die today, that they would go straight to a place of eternal separation from God. Um, people that preach the gospel are not supposed to be entertainers. The gospel has weight, and it's eternal weight. And so a lot of the times when I preach, I, people are like, you're so mean when you preach. It's because I feel the, the weight of the gospel. I feel the weight of the responsibility to draw you into the more eternal things. That's why we don't talk about the temporary things. That's why we don't have sermons that are, you know, five ways to be a better employee or things like that. Um, so my goal is not to make your today better. It's to make your eternity secure. So I'm not really concerned about your feelings. I'm not really concerned about your money. I'm not really concerned about you having things. Um, I am concerned about those things, but I'm not eternally concerned about those things. Um, what I'm most concerned about is you standing before God and being judged. Um, and every single person that's ever walked the planet has to stand before God and be judged. And it's not a cultural thing. It's a timeless thing. Our cultural Christianity unfortunately unfortunately has deleted the steel in our spines cultural christianity has caused so many people to think that they're okay um, because christianity is is part of your life and and so most people in america especially most people think that they're christians and they think they're okay uh, it's not about you the way that you live uh, you can live your own way outside of church, but inside of church or when you're around Christians, you have to act a certain way. You have to not say a certain words, and uh, it's just that's just not what it's about. 
you know, I think it's really super dangerous to grow up in a Christian family. Not that you shouldn't raise your kids to be Christians, but it's dangerous because um, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He just has children. And a lot of times what happens is people tend to grab a hold of the faith of their parents and they don't have faith of their own. So parents, if you have kids, like make sure that your kids are understanding that, that they have to have faith of their own. So how do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that you have truly come to know Christ? How do you know that if you were to die right now, that you would know for sure? Because it, it's about grace and not works, right? Of course we're, we're saved by grace. We all know that we're saved by grace. He who gives you grace to repent and believe continues to give you grace to continue repenting and continue believing. He doesn't stop giving you grace the moment you ask Him into your heart and then the grace stops. That's when it ends because you're, you're free from the weight of your sin. You're free from the punishment of your sin. He continues to give your, you grace so that you can continue to be transformed. He gives you grace for your justification. He gives you grace for your sanctification. Your justification meaning being made right. He gives you grace in order to make you right so that you will be worthy to be in the presence of a perfect and holy God. He gives you grace for your sanctification, meaning He is purifying you. It's a process of being purified. And so you'll grow in holiness if you have a relationship with Him. You'll grow in holiness, not maybe. You won't maybe be different today than you were a month ago or a year ago or or 10 years ago. It's not a maybe. It is an absolutely. If you have a relationship with Jesus, your life is always changing. And this is the biggest way that you can know. Are you becoming something more? Is He working in your life to make you holy? Even better ask, do, do you desire to be holy? Not, not do you desire to be successful, not do you desire to have things in the world, not, not do you desire to, to have a better job or to have more money or to have a better car, to go on a vacation to, to wherever. It's do you desire to be holy above all of the other things that you desire? Is He above all of your other desires? If not, then I just got to ask you again, are you sure of your salvation? Are you sure? And... In Luke 9, it says, when Jesus is talking to them, he says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And then if you skip down a little bit, if you're following along with us in Luke 9, if you skip down a little bit. Also, if you want, you can follow along with us in the YouVersion Bible app. If you'll go in the YouVersion Bible app to... Uh, the events, you hit the menu and then you hit events 
and on there you will see Life Church NB if you're in our area. If not, our zip code is 78130. I know some of you are all across the United States. Uh, watch this. So our zip code is 78130, and then look for Life Church NB. So um, as they were going along later in, in Luke 9, Jesus says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Do you remember when you said that to Jesus? You remember when you said, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. Just send me, I'll go. And then you started making excuses. Look, it's very important that you fight that feeling of condemnation. Because it's not about condemnation. You're not going to get it all right all the time. And that's okay. But you can. You have the ability as you submit and you let God, uh, God sanctify and purify your hearts and your desires and your thoughts. Um... But I, I want you to, when you look at the Word and you see your reflection and you see how messed up you are, fight, uh, fight the feeling of condemnation because it will inevitably bubble up and you'll say, I'm just so unworthy and you'll start to condemn yourself. And that's not what it's about. So it, Luke 9 goes on. It says, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And I got to ask you, like, what, what is it that we're looking back at? Do you really call the days when you were a slave to sin, do you really call those the good old days? Like, really? Those are the good old days? I just don't think so. Our text for today, or where we're really going to spend most of our time, is Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 27. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. Then... When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, as we look at this, we're going to break it down. Um, it, it starts in verse 22. He says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations, to which you came, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, 
which you have profaned among them. Jesus, or, or God says, I'm going to save you, but I'm not going to save you for you. I'm going to save you for a different reason. Yes, absolutely, I'm going to save you. But we tend to, we here in America, we Christians, we self-centered human beings, we tend to make the gospel entirely about ourselves and about how we are being saved. The gospel, Jesus came so that I could be saved. That is not why Jesus came. That is not why you were saved. It, you weren't even saved for yourself. In Romans 3.23, in Romans 3.23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When a holy and perfect God looks at sinful humans, the only thing their sin motivates God to do is judge them and condemn them. If God is going to save you, it's not because you did something good. You can't do something good. God doesn't save you because you deserve it. God saves you because He is a Savior. We don't deserve His love. What we deserve is His wrath. But He is love. He doesn't just save you. He transforms you. That's how He gets glory for saving you. Onlookers look at you and they see that you're saved and it's not just about you, your eternity being different. Onlookers look at you and they say, wow, God is real. I can tell you, the people that I grew up with, if they saw me now, they would have no doubt that God is real. People are drawn to God because of your transformation. It goes on in Ezekiel 36. It says, And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. The very reason that God's name is not praised in our culture is because people that claim Jesus' name live like he's not even there. And you know this is true. And you know what? It might even be you that lives like this sometimes. The reason that, that people turn away is because of Christians that acknowledge Him with their lips and go on and deny Him by their lifestyle. We're saved by faith alone. We're not saved by works. But I have to preach about holiness and what it means to live a holy life because we're not going to water down the gospel to make it easier to digest. We're not going to water down the gospel so that you can add Jesus to your already messed up, broken, and terrible, and dirty life. Jesus is not an additive. Jesus is the answer. He is the whole enchilada. If you're saved, you are a brand new creation. You have been born again. You were dead, and now you're alive. And with that, God gives you a new nature, one that desires holiness. But for some reason, you keep going back to your old nature, your old dead nature. You know where that leads, but you keep going back. God has begun, for you, if you're a Christian, God has begun a tremendous work in you to demonstrate His power to the world around you. The reason He is working is to demonstrate His power to the world around you, and that he, he, has, he has purposely and meticulously placed you 
in the people's lives that are that are around you. He purposely and meticulously and with, with minute detail has placed you in the family that he's placed you in. He's placed you in a neighborhood that he's placed you in. He's placed you in the job that you're in right now with the co-workers that you have in order to display his power. If God's power can't be seen in your life, leading you to greater and greater holiness, then maybe there's no power of God in your life because you are not a new creation. You're not, you're not, look, we're not talking about being perfect, um, but I believe that if you're not, if you're not being able to display that transformational power, then you don't have a relationship with God. If your life looks the same, then you are not a Christian. You are not reborn. You're not saved. You're still on a path to destruction. God said he was going to save people to demonstrate his power, and he would transform them. This is not a maybe thing. This is an absolutely thing. So I ask you, is God transforming your life? Not, are you perfect? Not, do you get it right 100% of the time? But are you being transformed? Whenever you fail, whenever you mess up, and we all mess up, whenever you mess up, do you sense Him still teaching you? Do you sense Him disciplining you? Do you sense Him drawing you close whenever you mess up? Or do you just have this worldly sorrow that goes away after a little bit of time. Whenever he's drawing you in and you allow him to, to touch that painful spot in your heart and you allow him to heal it, um, that is where holiness is found. That is where you are becoming this new creation. You're being transformed. You're gaining maturity. And let me just tell you, I've, I've been a Christian for a while, but it hurts until it doesn't it it hurts whenever you sin and and you feel broken and you feel messed up and you feel like you can't be forgiven but he comes in if you'll allow him he'll come in and he'll transform your heart in those dark moments the process causes your desire for holiness to grow so are you becoming more and more like Christ or are you becoming more and more like the world? Back to Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 36. He says, I'll take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land, pulling you out of the world of sin and brokenness and into holiness. Can you see this in your life that God is pulling you out of the world? He's, he's pulling you away from those worldly things and those worldly desires and, and the brokenness. Holiness doesn't mean just not doing evil. Holiness means running to God and letting go of the world. I remember not too long ago, my grandson was first learning to walk. And he's like, you know when babies first learn to walk, they pull themselves up and then they'll, they'll hold on to the table or the, the couch and then they'll, they'll, try to, they'll try to turn back around and they'll fall. And they'll fall, and they'll fall, and they'll fall. And it reminded me of when my kids were little. And what we would do is they would stand up, and they would hold on to something, and then I would say, come here, come here. 
come here. And I would reach for them. And then they would start to reach for me. And then I would move back a little bit. And they would reach out for me a little bit further. And I would move back a little bit. And I would get to the point to where all they had to do was let go. And once they let go, then they would be walking. Look, if they wanted to get to their dad, they had to let go. And, and if you want to get to your father, you have to let go of the world. If you want to do what you were designed to do as a, a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you have to let go of the safety and the security that the worldly things are. These are false security. They're, they're false idols. They're false things that are, that are bringing you comfort. If you will let go of those things and reach out to your father, letting go completely and trusting that if you let go, if you let go of the world, if you let go of the culture that is deadly, he is absolutely going to catch you. But you'll be running toward him. The gospel that most of us have heard and, and most of us have, have maybe even grown up and grown up hearing and grown up maybe even preaching um, is that, that we can have all of the things the world offers and we can have God too. Uh, that's just not the truth because they're enemies. They're opposites. The, the way that the world tells us to live and the way the world tells us we should live is the opposite of the way that God tells us we, we should live. And so we think that we can do both. You know, I've heard so many people preach that if the things in the world will be added to you, all the desires of your heart, that's not true. It's just not true. You should not have all of the things that you desire. I mean, can you think about all of the things that, that if you got them at the moment you desired, what, what, what position would you be in now? Like your life would be more of a wreck than it already is. We can't have God and the world too. We have to let go of the world. We have to not answer and bow down to culture. All right, so back to Ezekiel 36. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's no longer this, this life that we're supposed to live is no longer this thing that's going on on the outside. That's the Old Testament that, that we had this external rules. We had these external regulations that we had to follow in order to make us holy. It's no longer on the outside. Now it's in here. Now it's in, in our hearts. And he's creating us in us a new people called the church and he's empowering us and he's transforming us and he's br and and this is supposed to bring him glory because it's not about you it's about him are you growing in your devotion to god and in your love for christ are you growing in holiness or are you the same person that you were when you started do you have one foot toward heaven and the other foot toward hell look a parent that loves their child disciplines their child. Do you feel the discipline whenever you sin? 
Do you feel the discipline of the Lord whenever you sin? If you, can't, if you can live in sin and rebellion and it doesn't bother you, then you're not his kid. If you can go on sinning and it doesn't affect you, you're not, you're not saved. You're not being transformed. You're not, you're not desiring holiness. And that's one of the key aspects of being a Christian is that you desire holiness. You desire righteousness. Not that you get it right every time, but you don't wallow in it. You don't stay in your sin. You mess up and you go forward. In Malachi 1, it says, The Lord said, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. How did he show this love and hate? So how did he, if you look at Esau's life, how did God show hate toward Esau? God fulfilled every promise that he made to Esau. He blessed Esau with wealth and with power. Esau became a great leader. Esau became a great nation. And God continued to bless Esau. So how was God's hatred shown toward Esau? God never disciplined Esau. That's heavy. God never disciplined Esau. He never intervened in Esau's life. He never worked to make Esau holy. He let Esau go and he let Esau live exactly the way that Esau wanted to live. So, how did God show I love you, Jesus. I can't imagine being in a spot where I didn't have the nearness of the Holy Spirit to push me forward. Hey, Christian, if you're, if you don't feel the discipline, then you need to really figure out if you have a relationship with God. So, I'm sorry. How did God show love toward Jacob? I'll tell you how God showed love toward Jacob. He beat Jacob every day of his life. He would not allow Jacob to continue as Jacob. Jacob literally, the name Jacob literally means the deceiver. But when Jacob became a son, God began to change him from a, a, de a deceiver into a prince. Jacob suffered trials and he went through so much um, so that when he entered the promised land once again, when Jacob entered the promised land, he entered limping. Why did he enter limping? You know, if you know the story, you know why Jacob was limping. He was limping because 
The angel touched his hip. He was limping because God did that. If the gospel that you heard was about God's primary purpose in your life being your health and your wealth and your prosperity, if that's the case, if God's primary purpose in your life is health and wealth and prosperity, then why is Jacob limping into the promised land? It's because prosperity and health and wealth is not the goal of God. God's goal, if you belong to Him as His child, is to make you holy. And, and to make it to where you don't conform to the image of the world, but you conform to the image of Christ. And He will cleanse you from your filthiness, and He will destroy your idols, and He will be very zealous doing it. He will do anything that is necessary to conform you to the image of His Son. So I ask you, is He doing that in your life? Are you being transformed? Um, one of my favorite authors, his name is Brennan Manning, and he has uh, just this simplicity of the way that he preaches and the way that he writes. And he wrote this thing called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I want you, as you're sitting there, I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to listen to this. He said, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of His. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean in His presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way rough, my companions are few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. I hope that your banner is clear. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you saw fit to save a sinner like me.
I thank you that you are so good that your grace covers every part of my life. I want to continue to be transformed so that your glory could be made known with every person that I interact with. We want to be a church full of people that are transformed and are transforming into the image of Christ. We thank you, Lord. Where we have fallen short, we repent right now. We lay it at your feet. We know that your grace is big enough to cover that. And we know that you continue to give us grace because you're so good and you're so loving. I thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you. Hope to see you next week.